welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Goddess Teens Crowd. This is Jason Broughton, your host. Today we have with us Dave Ramirez. He is the pastor of St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Union Grove, Wisconsin. Welcome back, Ramirez. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to be back. Uh, it's good to have you. We're just on the heels of post-Bugenhagen, so are you rested up? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Bugenhagen is a great rest in many uh, spiritual ways and uh, a refreshment to be with, with all the, the brothers who come. Uh, but physically, it can be a little draining. So, yeah, I'm all rested <laughs> up and uh, back to normal. <laughs> yeah, good, good. Um, if you haven't been to Bugenhagen, guys, you've got to make it a priority because uh, it is probably, and I was telling this to my Bible class just this past Sunday, it is the best conference, most helpful conference that I have ever been to and I expect ever will go to. So make time to do it, guys. Absolutely. I uh, I don't say this or agree with you because I happen to be part of planning it, but I, I, I just can't, I can't emphasize enough to not just the pastors, but any uh, laymen who are listening, that they encourage their pastors to come and to continue to learn. Because I know I get into, uh, I, I wouldn't, bad ruts isn't what I'm trying to say, but I, I, I know that my preaching and teaching uh, gets stale. That's what I'm trying to say. Gets stale if I'm not learning too. And this is an opportunity to come and learn and hone your craft. Yeah. Or, or as you would say, dust off the treasures, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's get dusting. That's right. <laughs> let's get dusting. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so we have you on today for the analysis of the gospel reading for the ninth Sunday after Trinity, which is Luke chapter sixteen, uh, verses one to nine. But the expanded reading goes to thirteen. So, I'll go ahead and read that in the ESV, and then we can uh, discuss. So here is the reading. Jesus also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves 
by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. All right. Um, context. Where does this where does this line up? And does that help sure. us understand? Well, um, I mean, in in context, so this is this is chapter sixteen, and in chapter sixteen, uh, you have these two parables. I know there's debate over uh, whether the rich man and uh, uh, Lazarus is a parable or whether that's a historical account. But let's leave that aside. We're not talking about that. The point is, is that you have these two. Um, uh, these two uh, parabolic accounts. I, I don't know how you'd say that, but um, you have yeah. the two well, main teaching in these two things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they're both about the use of wealth. Um, and one is a positive example in a weird way, as we'll obviously talk about, um, our, you know, the parable we're discussing of the unjust or unrighteous or dishonest manager or steward, however you want to say it. And then with the rich man and Lazarus, and obviously with the rich man and Lazarus, that rich man uses his wealth very, very, very poorly. And there is no attempt on any level or any point of comparison that he does it right. You know what I mean? He is a, Mm -hmm. he is a bad example on every level that's drawn out that I can think of. If someone can come up with something else, fine, but that's not the main point. But um, this dishonest or unjust or unrighteous steward is pointed to as shrewd. And I know we'll talk about that word later. And um, there is a point of comparison in uh, between him and how believers should be, which again, we'll get more into. But in terms of context, strangely enough, this first uh, teaching of Jesus, this parable, is the positive example, or at least it's the jumping off point to talk about things positively, which really makes people kind of spin in their minds because he's, a, he's not a nice dude. He's, he's bad. Uh, I mean, he's, he's, he's a crook. But more yeah. broadly speaking, outside of the, uh, outside of the, 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 the chapter, um, Jesus is is talking in Perea, which is east of the Jordan, uh, east of uh, Jerusalem and Judea, and so this is this is a Jewish area. And he's talking to Pharisees. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to um, uh, tax collectors and and sinners. Uh, you you know, just for me to read very briefly in fifteen. One, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. We just had this a few weeks ago, because that's the introduction to the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin, and the prodigal son. And so mm-hmm. you have those three parables, and uh, I, I think that uh, Lenski says it, says it well, uh, connecting these two chapters in context, saying that um, 
you know, this parable referring to the the dishonest or shrewd man, manager, uh, the one that we're talking about, this parable uh, no longer deals with finding and recovering the lost, which is what 15 was all about, right? Mm-hmm. But rather with the life of those who have been found. And it, so its application is uh, to the disciples, even though the Pharisees are are hearing it. Uh, those three parables of the lost coin and lost sheep and and the prodigal son, especially the last one, are obviously skewering the Pharisees and their response to um, uh, manifest sinners uh, repenting and becoming part of the kingdom of God. And, and so that's that, mm-hmm. that's an emphasis on justification. It's an emphasis on being brought into uh, uh, communion with Christ and being becoming part of the church, being found. Um, and what is the proper response to uh, uh, seeing people uh, be brought into the church? Whereas, mm-hmm. and I think and I think Lenski really does a good job of this of, of saying that that this. Uh, the, the, this parable and obviously the rich man and Lazarus is okay. Well, how, you know, how, how now that you're found, how do you act? It is, it, it is more assuming, or I shouldn't say assuming, but it is, uh, it is teaching from the standpoint of, okay, now you've been found. Um, how, how do you behave and how, uh, how do you deal with, with wealth in particular? And of course, in between the parable of the dishonest manager and then the, uh, rich man and Lazarus, you have that discussion about, uh, the Pharisees, uh, and them saying, and, and Luke pointing out who are describing them, who were lovers of money, you know, yeah. trying to justify themselves and Christ skewering them to show that they don't actually, uh, follow the word of God. So, mm-hmm. um, so anyway, uh, I, I think that's the, the general context. Uh, I, I think that, um, that, that that's just a, a good way to think about it, that this parable, it we've moved on from finding and recovering the lost, but now what does the life of those who have been found, what does that look like? And so I think mm-hmm. it is more, uh, obviously the Pharisees are there, like I said, but it's more about application and teaching to disciples, to believers. Yeah. So is he taking on then, that I should say Jesus, is Jesus taking on, um, assumptions that the Pharisees had first about who's really lost and what the proper mm-hmm. use of money then is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think who's really lost, he's dealing with more explicitly in 15. Um, you, you know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, he's building upon it, but I, I really do think that he's, I mean, this is why I think they're cut to the core because Jesus's critique on them as being lovers of money Jesus never has to prove that. You know what I mean? He doesn't like lay out a huge case ever that, that they're lovers of money and people need to watch out for this. It is obviously presented in the Gospels as an acknowledged fact. Just like there, there's no place in Scripture, or rather specifically in the New Testament, where anyone feels the need to defend the notion that most tax collectors <laughs> were bad. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? It's just a given. Everybody recognizes this is a societal uh, known attitude that is rooted in overwhelming fact. And so too, I think, with mm-hmm. the Pharisees. And we see that demonstrated because they feel tweaked, not just by those parables, especially the prodigal son, 
but also about this dishonest manager because people who are uh, lovers of money and are out to enrich themselves at the expense of others are going to get nervous when a parable Mm -hmm. that might not be explicitly against them is being talked about. I mean, we all get hot under the collar when someone might not be preaching about us particularly, but about a sin that we struggle with. And so I, I, but, but I do think the main emphasis is not just to get their goat. I think it is to say, this is how you should view money. And you're right. The negative example would be the Pharisees. But I do think that yeah. this moves more to application for believers. Yeah. I mean, do we do we see, though, I, mean, I guess, and maybe this is because they have like living examples right in front of them. I don't recall Jesus going into this when he's in Galilee, right? It's always like he's always going on about this kind of stuff when he's in Jerusalem or in Judea. Um, I mean, is there something to that? That that's like the the big city. It's like our Chicago uh, or DC or, or no. I I don't know. I I haven't thought about it, so I'm just shooting from the hip. But I I would hesitate to make too much of that because there are other times when he talks about um, people trying to get the best spot or. Uh, you know, wanting honor and things like that. And that's up in mm-hmm. Galilee. So, I mean, okay. the Sermon on the Mount, he's going after, I mean, there's plenty of Pharisees up in Galilee and he deals with, I mean, isn't the rich young ruler up in Galilee too? Um, I, I don't, I don't recall that. But um, I would have to look that yeah, up for I, sure. So if we expand uh, money and riches to also prestige, which is closely connected and honor, in mm-hmm. in places i mean he does go after that up in galilee i i don't know i mean maybe it was worse but I, I mean the pharisees are all over in some ways the pharisees comparatively were stronger up in galilee than in jerusalem because in jerusalem and in the surrounding areas i mean that's the area where the priests have the most influence too so mm-hmm. um up in galilee there's no temple uh the priests are far away um, uh, comparatively. I'm not saying they had no influence, but but the Pharisees are are very strong up in Galilee. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, all right. So let's just launch into the parable then. Uh, sure. Let me somehow my computer goofed here. Get back on the reading. So what is this relationship, steward to master, that? needs to be understood. Sure. So um, a, a steward is one who, uh, who runs the household in terms of the business and, uh, uh, you, you know, all, all, the, all the bookkeeping. Um, mm-hmm. From the rest of the parable, we can deduce what type of uh, more particular relationship. I mean, that's the general understanding of what a steward is. He manages the household. Um, and, but, but then there's a question of, is he a slave or not? And the answer is definitively no, he is not owned Mm -hmm. by the master because he loses his position instead of getting executed or, uh, whipped Mm -hmm. or, or, you know, demoted to a particular other job. He is, he is not a man who's who's bonded you know what i mean like he mm-hmm. he he's a free man who is the steward of the household 
And in reading, uh, I, I read several commentaries in preparation, but everyone agreed. I'm not going to quote it. It's not worth. Uh, there weren't very any quotable quotes on this, but but the but the people who talked about what kind of business this uh, this rich man had the steward, you know, bookkeeping for him and and running it was probably, I mean, the people who he's talking to are probably not farmers because of the quantities of, of things that, again, that's what the commentators say. I mean, if someone wants to correct me on this, fine, whatever. But, but he says, this seems like these are things that are owed and it's not just, it, it does, it, it does not strike the commentators, nor does it make logical sense, according to these commentators, that that this is kind of like someone who has who has lent either money or goods or whatnot to tenant farmers or other poor farmers in the area, but that the, that all of these people are trades are, are, are traders, not tradesmen, not like skilled uh, laborers, but 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 traders. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah, not craftsmanship, but they're traders. You know what I mean? They're they're engaged in commerce, and and you know the, these other guys are probably merchants that get called in and get their get their accounts changed around. Also, while while we're on the specifics, this steward was had, had incredible authority and uh, um, uh, trust placed in him because he's not like telling these guys to like scratch off what was written on what they owed and then writing something new, like whiting it out or putting a line through it, you know, but rather they're, they're writing a whole new uh, bill of debt or a whole new contract on, 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 or they're producing a new record is my point that they are crumpling up the old piece of paper, so to speak. And, trashing it and writing up a whole new one which shows because that's the only way anyone could pull this off right and mm-hmm. and so the manager if he can do that that means he's got total control over the books that he can write these these uh these, these bills or these these uh records of debts uh not just sign off on them but he has control over the whole process that's also why okay. he he says um uh, uh, it, you know, he, he, he tells them to sit down. Uh, I can't remember who pointed that out, but if you remember in six, he says, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. He, the, uh, and uh, this is, this is almost certainly, it makes no sense. Otherwise, this is not like erasing what you owed and then putting in a new number because then you could, you could see the evidence of the crime. Yeah, but because he has such authority, he's he's telling him, you know, take your bill, and then in parentheses uh, is and just get rid of that one. You can destroy it. Write a new one, right? You know what I mean. Write down this mm-hmm. number, and then we can both sign off on it. And that and and that will be what must be because I'm still in charge while I'm settling up the books. Um, yeah. there there is no no altered records in the sense of like changing it within the documents it's he's he's reproducing new documents so what what does this tell us about him uh well we you know like what we just said before he's a free man because a slave would have a much greater punishment uh and two 
he has incredible authority, basically all authority over what has been handed over. So, yeah. so, so he's, um, so this is forgery basically. Yeah. Well, okay. It's not forgery. Uh, not to be too uh, nitty gritty technical, but it, but it's not forgery because he still actually has the authority to do this. He's okay. just, he's just lying about it. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not so forgery. Like if a forgery is a fake document, right? These are, yeah. these are legal documents. These aren't fakes. They're not forgeries. He's just lying mm-hmm. about what it okay. is. And because the old ones are destroyed, they have to stand. That's why his plan mm-hmm. is brilliant. It is a brilliant plan. It's evil. It's bad. It's wicked. But it is a foolproof plan. It's going to work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, is there any um, is there any uh, relationship that we can draw between him and Joseph as like the chief kind of steward of Pharaoh? Sure, absolutely. I mean, Joseph would be the he would be the the opposite in in the sense of him being righteous and having an opportunity to abuse his position uh, with, uh, with, you know, just run-of-the-mill theft or, or writing down debts or, you know, doing whatever he wanted with his master's property. And then, of course, most notoriously, uh, you know, Mrs. Potiphar offers herself to Joseph and tries to seduce him, and he could have taken advantage of his master's trust in that, uh, Time after time after time, he had this dangled in front of him, and he refuses to not do that. So, I mean, he would be a positive example of someone who's been handed gifts and uh, authority, and he actually uses it right. I, I actually think, you know, we should look at the the words of Jesus to the disciples. All authority on, you know, in heaven and earth has been given to me, and I'm sending you out. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but you know what I mean? And And I send you out. Do these things, you know. I've given you all this authority. What are you going to do with it? You know. Well, you should follow my word. You should be faithful, and Joseph is faithful, and the disciples should be faithful because a, a very, very rich man, Jesus, who has all the treasures of heaven from his heavenly Father, is is giving these apostles. I mean, we 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 say that the pastors, right? In in the line of the apostles are stewards of the mysteries, right? And all of us as Christians are, uh, uh, you know, a holy priesthood. Uh, and uh, we're royalty because we're part of God's family. And so we should steward the gifts that we're given. I mean, there, whether you want to talk about stewardship as time and talents and treasure or whatever, I mean, this parable is all about stewardship. Hence the name, mm-hmm. right? The yeah, the, the bad steward or whatever, but it is. It's, it's you've been given all this stuff. Yeah. So how does this? So how does this plan actually work in favor of the dishonest manager? How does it sure. work so that he would be received into their houses? So uh, as you as you read, and I'll, I'll just read a little bit too. So there's charges brought against the manager or the steward. Mm-hmm. that this man was wasting his possessions. And so um, the the charge is 
not necessarily that he's stealing. It's just that he's a bad steward. But not. But it's more than just being careless, like honest mistakes, right? But it is. He, he's 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 squandering his master's mm-hmm. riches. He's being a very bad steward, <clears throat> even if it's not. So does that criminal. mean? Does that yeah. mean? Yeah. Does that mean lazy or? Um, so not not uh, making deals where deals could be made or or. We don't get the details, what is but the I guess I would. Yeah, yeah. I so again, you got people split on this. Uh, some folks want to say this is just, you know, um, you know, minor carelessness, but that doesn't fit with this guy's abilities. I mean, he's shrewd, he's sharp, he's crafty, and also you don't get thrown out for just making a few mistakes. So what he does wrong, while it's not detailed. It is it is somewhere in between outright theft and um, little mistakes. It's not either one of those things. It's in between. It's it's criminal neglect, so to speak. You know, mm-hmm. like he's he's doing a maybe not criminal, but it's fireable neglect. He is being a poor steward. He's he's not using. I think I think we should think about the parable of the talents here, right? You know, the mm-hmm. guy. I mean, some people, they, they turn, uh, uh, you know, just a few talents into tons more. And then there's different levels of how, how well you use your talents. But what's the worst? The guy who just lets it sit there and do nothing. And so yeah. we don't know how much he wasted and whether it was sins of omission or commission or uh, how much laziness, how much malice. But it was bad enough that charges, again, it's in the passive, charges were brought to the rich man. So it was bad enough that some other underling uh, or, or somebody comes and tells the master, this guy is bad news. He's wasting your riches. He's squandering your, your riches. So, and we can, <clears throat> and we can assume that the charge was correct because of how he reacts. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody agrees on that. I, I, I don't see how you could argue it any other way. He know. I mean, he doesn't even dispute it. You know, there's no contest to yeah. this. You know, the, so the so the rich man calls him in. What is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. Like, there's obviously overwhelming proof of this, and uh, be, because he he's not even given the chance to defend himself. Which normally, if there's a he said she, she said thing, you have to establish thing with two or three witnesses. So yeah. obviously, it's either one other worker or somebody who comes and says, well, here's the proof. Just go look at these things. And it's not disputable. You don't need, you don't need testimony because the proof is, is apparent to all, or it's multiple people that, but regardless whether it's two or three witnesses, or it's just apparent to all, as long as you just look at the evidence, the point is, Mm -hmm. is that the rich man goes into it, not saying, Hey, I've heard this bad stuff. What's your side of the story? He just says, you're done. It's over. And yeah. he doesn't even dispute it, which all points to the fact that he's guilty. So turn in yeah. the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. So you're being stripped of your position and, um, you know, you need to. Yeah. You need so to, if that's the case, if that's the case, how is he able to pull this off? Does he have to go get his account? Because he has to close out his books. Yeah. He's got to close out his books. He has to, he has to um, prepare that. I mean, it, it's just like if you, 
um, <clears throat> if, uh, if I'm trying to think of a good example, but let, let's say you were involved in some civil suit and you were not happy with your lawyer, right? And mm-hmm. because he was just doing a crummy job and you called him up and you said, Hey, um, I'm moving on to a different lawyer. Send everything, send everything that you have, all, all the copies of the evidence, all the court proceeding documents, everything, send it over uh, to me or send it over to my new lawyer. Either way, you know that he can't just click three buttons and send it all over. He's got to, I mean, well, maybe in the age of the internet, you can, but he has to assemble all that stuff. He has to put it in an orderly package and hand it over, right? And yeah. it's the same with this guy. He, you know, uh, he, uh, he's not the type of employee that you can say on a Friday afternoon, okay, I don't care what you were working on. I don't care what you were in the middle of. You're fired. And, you know, this thug is going to watch you put all your stuff <laughs> in, a, in a box. And this thug's going to stop you if you decide to make a scene, right? You know, I mean, yeah, that works with people who are not in charge of everything, right? You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the company can do that to someone who's not in charge of everything because no matter what they were in the middle of working on or no matter what uh, programs are open on their computer, it's not absolutely essential and it's not worth the trouble. They're just going to be, you know, very, you know, jerky and say, you're out, that's it, you know? Yeah. We're watching you leave. Yeah. But if you have, okay. you know, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So, so if he's got to, since he's got to close out the books and hand everything over, this gives him time to put his plan into action. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Right. All right. And the manager said to himself in three, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? Okay. So, what am I going to do? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. So, he's got two options that are obvious. He could become a day laborer. If you are a steward, a manager of a rather vast, extensive household, Jesus doesn't have to spell this out. That means you're at the top of your career, right? You've you've hit the top uh, of of your track of possibility, which means you've been doing it uh, probably for a long time, which means mm-hmm. it's too late for you to go back and actually become a skilled craftsman and also if you've been uh not to be too blunt but if you've been a white collar worker who hasn't gotten his hands dirty for you know 20 30 years the chances of you being a successful day laborer are probably slim uh slim to none and and also this guy doesn't want to do that right uh Mm -hmm. you know he's he's got some he's gotten accustomed to his position so even if he's yeah. not a landowner, he is in a very prominent, uh, prestigious place outside of people who actually own lots of land. He doesn't want to go dig, and he's not strong enough to do it. I mean, think about a banker who's been a banker his whole life, and uh, because he got caught stealing, he gets kicked out. He's not becoming a uh, construction worker. He's not. Yeah. He can't do it. He's not strong enough mm. at 55 or whatever. And he's ashamed to yeah. beg. He's, he's not going to go down and do that. And so then um, his plan, uh, which, you know, it's, it's really hard to, um, you know, put into English. There's lots of different ways to translate it. But um, because it, it's, it's, it, 
I mean, in the ESV, it's I have decided what to do, but it, but it is more. I mean, that egnon is is, is it, it's an aorist, and um, oh, what's what's that word? I can't remember anymore what type of an aorist it is. Yeah, it's an ingressive, uh, ingressive aorist, and um, yeah, there's the Linsky quote. He says it's quite impossible to translate it uh, because we don't have a tense equivalent um, in English. So, but, but, but it's, but it's, but this, this type of an aorist, I mean, and, and we know aorist many times is used for completed action. So uh, that kind of helps us get a sense of this, but, it, but as he says, it marks the sudden arrival of the knowledge. So kind of like Eureka, now I've got it right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Instead of just, yeah. I have decided what to do. Like, oh, I thought, no, it's like, oh, I've got it, you know, because he's in despair, yeah. right? I can't yeah. dig. I'm not strong enough, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've got it, right? You know. Oh, yeah. I know what it is. I know what I'm gonna do. Yep, yep. Yeah. I got it. Right, right. Exactly. So, um, uh, so anyway, um, so that so so he's got a plan, and it is a shrewd, clever plan, uh, and and notice how the way he he, the, I'm sorry. The way that Jesus tells this parable helps us understand the application of it too. So in four, um, we get to hear the internal dialogue of the, of, of the steward, right? Uh, I'm just going to read it from mm-hmm. the SV. I've decided what to do, or Eureka, now I got it. So that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. And then... We see him deploy the plan, but he doesn't say, I'm going to do this, and then we hear the record of what he's going to do. Now, that would be a little redundant, so you might just say this is just a good stylistic move by Christ telling this parable, which it undoubtedly is, but it's more than that. It shows his plan is all oriented around what? Planning for the future, acting Mm -hmm. in accordance with his desired results for the future, acting in accordance with that now. So I've decided what to do, but I'm not going to tell you, right? But I, what I'm mm-hmm. going to do, my plan is all designed so that when the declaration takes effect, because there's been a declaration, right? You you, you can't manage anymore. You're out. Mm-hmm. But it hasn't taken effect yet. But so that when that day arrives or when that moment arrives, you know, people may receive me into their houses. I have a place to go because this is fundamentally also about not just for the shrewd manager, but for us Christians is that this is about whose household do you belong to? This guy's getting kicked Mm -hmm. out of a household. He will no longer be a part of this household because he's betrayed trust. He's been a bad steward, all this kind of stuff. So he has to figure out where he's going to land and what household he will be uh, a part of. Now he's going to be jumping around from place to place because he doesn't put all of his eggs in one basket, but that shouldn't distract us from the point a, that he's planning for the future and his present plan is properly in line with his hopes and desires for the future. And two, that he, uh, um, that uh, no, I can't remember. Oh yeah, that he knows that you that you have to be part of a household, and that's mm-hmm. why it's very uh, important later when it talks about you know the sons of this world. I mean, this isn't just about children. Yeah. This is about heirs, and so where is he going to actually have a place? Because he's not a landowner. He's not an heir. 
to a stable thing. He has to be joined or be brought into a household. He's screwed up the relationship with this household, so he has to find others. So yeah. then he deploys the so, plan. Um, but, but go ahead. So, so there's a certain amount of urgency too. There's no, there's no uh, daylight between here's the plan and putting it into action. Oh yeah, he sees a goal and he does what he should do to accomplish his goal. And as you know, obviously, we believe, and every Christian preacher believes that the point of comparison is not about the goal that we should you know, uh, <laughs> that we should swindle people. That's not the point of comparison. The point of, one of the points of comparison is that this guy has a goal and he goes after it and he acts in accordance with his stated goals appropriately. Yeah. Um, not morally, but in line with it. And, and yeah. so should, so should Christians knowing what their future is, knowing what has been declared to them. So then he deploys his plan. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, so sh- so should we see this? Uh, there's a certain amount of zeal behind this man. Yeah, and determination. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, th- interpreting this is very similar to when uh, Jesus talks about the impudent people who who show up in the middle of the night wanting bread, or oh, yeah. um, you know, the impudent woman who wants the magistrate to rule in her favor. I mean, the point is not that we should go run around asking our neighbors for stuff in the middle of the night because then we'll get what we want. The point is is that uh, being zealous and 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 being uh, you know having that 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 determined uh questing after what is right that zeal of, of uh oh i can't remember the other word that um all of us use in conjunction instead of impudence but um doggedness pursuing yeah. uh you know pursuing uh you, you know that 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 desire and and the and and having that pursuing attitude of that which is proper that's how we should be with god in prayer you know uh, he's promised to hear us. Mm-hmm. He's promised to listen to us. He's promised to answer us. And he's our heavenly father. And he's the only one who can actually provide for us. And so if, yeah. if, if, if we know how to be impudent in the middle of the night to get bread or to annoy the magistrate, if, if we know that the squeaky wheel gets the oil, then why aren't we like that with God? And it's the same thing here. You know, we should be mm-hmm. shrewd and uh, zealous to pursue our goals um, which are good, unlike this guy's goal, which is bad. Yeah. So, uh, so that if this parable were were told today, it'd be like, I know what I'm going to do, and I'll start it on Monday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> not <of> him <laughs> right now. That's not this guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if it was a parable today, it would be a lot like you know. Uh, 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 the million and one movies about how somebody has to raise X number of millions of dollars and then by hook or by crook, they get it. Now in the family friendly movies, they get it by putting on a rock concert or starting a business or whatever in the not so friendly family movies. It's by robbing a casino or, um, you know, stealing from a bank or whatever. But again, to follow your logic about the the modern example, it's they don't sit around on their hands. They they get moving right away mm-hmm. to accomplish it because the time's ticking and we need a million dollars to pay for, you know, grandma's surgery or for 
my dream, whatever, wh- whatever the motivation is, they're working. And then you have the montages mm-hmm. of them working, right? Because they're doing so much stuff. You can't even show it all. Yeah, no, no, I can't. The, uh, uh, my point is so often we say, oh, I'll start on Monday. Like we put it off yeah. and then yeah. Monday comes and we don't do it even then. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds kind of slothful. You should do a presentation on that. <laughs> the, I'll, I'll have to dust that off. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> so we kind of talked about the rewriting of the bills. Um, yeah, we did. So he deploys his plan. He writes everybody's debt down. And then um, at some point, we don't get the details. I would assume when he hands over the books. But it might be that the manager gets wind of his little ploy um, midway through. He might have had more people to do it. But the same people who ratted him out before rat him out again. I mean, there's lots of ways to hypothesize about this. But that's not the point. The point is, is that the master finds out about his shrewdness. And so in eight, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that that is just really, uh, you know, it, it's like, you, you know, uh, you know, you know, one team congratulating the other team on, well, that was a really sneaky play, but you sure got us like, um, you know, boy, that was that hurt our t- our side that hurt our team but hey you got to give credit where credit's due it's that attitude of mm-hmm. uh, i mean obviously the master's not happy about losing all that money but mm-hmm. you have to acknowledge the skill and the brazenness and the the lack of sloth the zeal the mm-hmm. everything yeah, this kind of this this part of the conversation kind of reminds me of a particular softball game recently between Gen X and Gen X with a particular pitcher who is uh, throwing slop. And uh... <laughs> why, whatever do you mean, Pastor Broughton? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I don't know. I just uh, forgot. Our... <laughs> <laughs> well, our. our... Our, our mutual friend, uh, Pastor Heath Curtis, uh, was was ragging me about. Uh, well, I thought he was ragging me about putting a lot of spin on the ball, and I said, "Hey, man, that's 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 what you got to do." And he said, "Oh, no, 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 it's a compliment." Even though he was complaining, but even in the yeah. complaint, it was an acknowledgement that it was hard to hit. No, I, I think that that yeah. yeah, that that's actually a good example. Even though now you've made me the dishonest pitcher, the unjust pitcher. <laughs> Well, you know, that's what's funny. The uh, Like early on in baseball, wasn't this the thing? Like there were people who said, we're not throwing curveballs because that's you're tricking people. Or we're yeah, not going to steal bases yeah. because, because that's cheating. Uh, not yeah. if it's part of the game. <laughs> well, right. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny how baseball had to kind of find its way on what was allowed and what wasn't. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you th- think about pitchers. They can try to... They, I mean, uh, so so obviously the game's changed, like what you said. Like you can't, like you used to not be able to throw curveballs and stuff like that because it was deceptive and cheating. But now they allow that. But they don't allow the pitcher to fake throw and then throw the guy who's leading off out because it's a balk, mm-hmm. right? And pitcher can't yeah. just do whatever. So yeah, you, you, yeah. If it's part of the game, it's not cheating. So 
Yeah. Well, this guy is no, it cheating. Was good. <laughs> yes, this guy. This is guy. Cheating. You weren't cheating. This guy is. <laughs> no, I was not cheating. I was just not being nice. But uh, you were honing your craft. Guy, that was great. I was honing my craft. Yeah, that's that's what Bugenhagen's all about. Uh, yeah, th- this guy is 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 not cheating. Um, and then the comparison is brought home uh, in eight. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. So worldlings are going to worldling, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, sinners are going to sin. Uh, the devil's going to devil. You know, Satan's going to Satan. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, that saying is very apt here. Uh, of course, the sons of this world are going to be better at being worldlings. But the point that we should see is is that they actually have a goal. It might not be a good goal, but they pursue it. It's kind of like when we mm-hmm. see, um, you, you know, uh, uh, Mohammedans. You know, their belief yeah. in Allah is wicked and wrong, but many of them uh, zealously follow him. Uh, you, you know, whether it be uh, blowing things up or whether it be trying to convert or subvert uh, people or countries or nations. Uh, Obviously, we don't commend them for their belief in Allah, and we don't commend them for their wicked actions. However, they are following through on what their faith dictates and expects of Mm -hmm. them, um, even if it's false faith. So, So to hear, worldlings want to provide for themselves in the future, and that makes sense for the and, and I and I love how it's how it's worded here because it helps us get back to the whole household thing and keep it fresh in our mind uh, in this explanation for the sons of this world. That's what their inheritance is. That's where their treasure is. I mean, we should be thinking about the Sermon on the Mount. You know, where your uh, heart is, so shall that's where your treasure shall be too. And mm-hmm. and so you have these worldlings who have no hope in the gospel, have no hope of heaven. And all they care about is mammon, the things of this world. And so that's what they want. And that's their inheritance. It's an inheritance that moth and rust will destroy, but they do what is necessary to extend that out as long as possible and to enjoy themselves as much here in this life according to their earthly desires. And uh, so, yeah, it makes sense that they're more shrewd in dealing with the present world than the sons of light. But then Mm -hmm. nine, it tells us that we should do the same according to our own, to the true faith and to, to, to God's word. So now in nine, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you. In, uh, may, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. So yeah. again, we, we've got this language of eternal, uh, or I'm sorry, not eternal, but dwellings. Uh, you need a household to go to. So whose so whose household is the eternal dwellings? Well, our heavenly fathers, and um, we need to use unrighteous wealth. Which again, I, I think this is an emphasis of. Uh, of comparison, so to speak, an emphasis on the wickedness that wealth can tempt you into and lead you down the bad path with and all, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But we should like use... Like worldly wealth instead of... Earthly wealth. Riches. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, unrighteous wealth is emphasizing 
that that it that, that it's not the eternal treasures that Christ gives. Yes. Not that yeah. it's necessarily evil in and of itself, but yeah, like earthly wealth, like worldly wealth might even be a better way to think of it because it's got that edge of worldliness and how it can be dangerous. Mm-hmm. And and so how should we use our our wealth? Well, the should steward uses the wealth that he has at his disposal that he has authority over that he has access to to help himself extend his eating and drinking and living to his standards that he's wanted you know he's he cares about riches he's like the rich man and the rich man and lazarus who all he cares is eating sumptuously and dressing fabulously and all this kind of worldly stuff and so he goes for it Uh, that's what he uses earthly wealth for and earthly authority for well, how should we use that? Well, we, we should we should uh, use it to show our faith. Blunt, you know, to put it to put it bluntly. Um, mm-hmm. Luther, L- Luther. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So it says so that when it when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Um, d- does Luther or anyone else then co- uh, talk about this as? Um, this, is, this should not be interpreted as works righteous. No, no. This is about the day of your death um, mm-hmm. in terms, I mean, it's not judgment day. I mean, all earthly wealth and riches will fail on that day. But when they fail you, that's the point, right? You know what I mean? Like um, you, you, if you die tomorrow, aren't thinking about how, well, oh, that wealth of mine will be gone and destroyed on the last day. No, I mean, it's failed to help you in any way, shape, or form the moment you die. It's it's over. But yeah, th- this is not about works righteousness. Um, you know, a, a lot of uh, Catholics and, and others will interpret this as, uh, you know, almsgiving will help you uh, earn points with God. But the better way to understand this is that this is very similar to Matthew 25, where uh, the sheep do good works, but this is the evidence of their faith. Uh, mm-hmm. Luther has a, has a sermon on this, and he, he, he says, um, you know, that, that this parable or this passage in verse 9 can be explained in two ways. And he says, first, it can be explained that a man should seek salvation by works, which is false. Second, as a consequence of faith, which is right. So um, you are a son of light. That's what eight already said. So I tell mm-hmm. you, um, this is th- this is why I think it's important to for us to understand that this is most most directly the primary audience is the disciples, and he's teaching mm-hmm. them about how to use wealth. And yes, the Pharisees are there listening, but but this is, you know, this is Jesus' teaching about what a son of light does. And he's talking about the Christian life here and how you act uh, with your wealth and all the earthly goods that God has given you in the light of the fact that you're a son of light. And so as a son of light, someone who's already been justified and reborn uh, through the gospel by the means of grace, uh, how, you know, how, how, how do you show that your faith is living? Or how do you um, naturally do in accordance with God's command, which you now want to obey, even though you fight against the sinful flesh? You know, what do you do? And so um, Luther says, 
Therefore, you're not to seek heaven with any kind of works, but only to do the works freely. Then the result, eternal life, will follow of itself without your seeking. Um, so, uh, and and this is about the, and, and this connects up with the eternal dwellings or eternal tabernacles. Um, you know, Luther says about those words that that the that his Roman Catholic or Papist opponents say. Uh, since it says they receive us into heaven, um, it doesn't this mean that the saints are mediators before God, um, and they can help us get into heaven. And uh, mm-hmm. he, you know, Luther quotes uh, from other places in Scripture and how Christ is is the only uh, redeemer before God. Uh, and then he says, therefore, we must not seek our consolation in any of the saints, but in Christ alone. There. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I, I'm not finding my quote properly. Um, and yeah, that's when he goes into Matthew 25, where uh, Christ tells us how the king will answer them, who will say on the mm-hmm. last day, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or homeless? And mm-hmm. dot, dot, dot. And then here, the Lord shows who those friends are, namely the poor and needy. Um, as though to say, when you make them your friends, then you have made me as your friend also, for they are my members. And of course, anyone uh, who's paying attention, reading Matthew, uh, the little ones, um, those are the disciples. And so this is also aiding the gospel specifically and uh, mm-hmm. the proclamation of the word. And so then he says later in the sermon, therefore, these poor people will not be our helpers, you know, not as if we're giving them alms and therefore they can help us get into heaven because they're praying for us to God or something like that, but rather as our witnesses, you know, mm-hmm. like when the books are laid open, um, uh, just like in Matthew 25, these people um, who, who, who we helped for the sake of the gospel or because we we did it in faith those good works are just the outward evidence of the justifying faith that's that's in us yeah um you know sort of going back i wanted you to be able to get that point um but you brought up matthew 25 um the word for um shrewd in Luke 16 here is the same word for, or a cognate of the the wise virgins in Matthew 25. Does that help us understand that the kind of wisdom or the kind of shrewdness we're talking about here, that the, say the virgins had a, a, they had a goal, which was to see the bridegroom or to be ready for him and made sure that that happened. Yeah, I, I think so, because the wisdom is the wisdom built upon uh, the message of the gospel and the word of God. And and so our quote-unquote shrewdness should be to be faithful. And so that's true wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And so just like mm-hmm. the sons of uh, the world, um, the, the sons of this world act in accordance with their knowledge of how this world works and how to get what you want in this world. If that is your God, if mammon's your God, this is what you do. Well, they're being logical. It's a false mm-hmm. logic based upon and uh, you know a very short time frame and uh, in rejection of God. But it does have internal coherence and sense. How much more should we, who have the truth, 
who know the truth, yeah. who are now sons of God, who have who we're not just stewards, we are stewards, but we've made been we've been made sons and heirs and part of the household of God. How much more should we act in accordance with that truth when we think about our future? So if the shrewd master goes, uh oh, there's a day when me being the manager here is going to come to an end. So how do I use my authority and my stewardship uh, position uh, to maximize benefits for me? And then he acts Mm -hmm. in accordance with that. So to we, God's given us time, talents, treasure, all these things. How are we going to use them? Are are we going to use them faithfully, which, which betrays the fact that we're sons of God and that we're, we're believers or are we going to waste them and be cast yeah. out? Yeah, so I think that's the question that I think I'd like to chat about more. And I think I see kind of a lack of understanding is, you know, we, we in the church, we'll talk about how we're stewards just as believers, right? That, that nothing is ours and everything belongs to God. And yet we act just the opposite. Yeah. We act as though it's all of ours and none of it is God's. And so yeah. it seems as though there needs to be a good chunk of time spent, particularly in this gospel, to say, look, you are a steward and there will be an account. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, the, I, I think you're right that we that needs to be emphasized. And also, we're stewards who have been given this because— our Lord loves us and our Lord has given us Christ and we've been Mm -hmm. brought into the household, not because we worked our way into the position, but purely because of his grace and mercy. And so we should be thankful, joyous stewards. And so on one hand, we should be utterly confident because our sonship rests on Christ. And yet also like you're emphasizing always cognizant of the fact that we do not have a place in the household by nature, but rather mm-hmm. only by grace. And so we are stewards yeah. because, a, a, you know, a steward doesn't have the authority in and of himself. Um, he's stewarding on behalf of someone else. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and what you said is so true. We, we forget we're stewards in the sense of, Hey, uh, you know, well, I'm I'm gonna allow my kids to disrespect me, or I'm gonna I, I'm gonna be more generous or more kind than God about not condemning a certain thing. God can handle it, you know, or I can handle mm-hmm. it. And it's like no, 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 no. This is not. These are not your treasures to be done with however you want uh, to mm-hmm. use them. They're, they're they're actually gifts with particular institutions and purposes and rules and regulations that God has set up for the benefit of you and the people who you're going to bless. And Mm -hmm. uh, like you said, there there will be an accounting. And I do think that uh, the faithful word uh, gets hammered home in 10 through 13 again and again and Mm -hmm. again and again and again, where yes, we should be shrewd, but how you said, how are we shrewd? Well, you've got all this talk about unrighteousness, right? Um, mm-hmm. Earlier on, and and now, or, or dishonest. Um, uh, but what gets repeated in the explanation? One who's faithful 
in a very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful, you know, in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust coming from the same root, pistuo, and um, yeah, and if you've not been faithful in which is in others, who will give you that which is your own? So if yeah. you want to be an heir, act like a, act like an heir. Don't don't act like a idiot or a slave yeah. or don't don't act like you serve another master actually. That's the worst thing. That's, mean, that's the how big it thing, right? Culminates. Yeah. So when we've been talking about this kind of uh, money has been a little tangential and we've kind of incorporated time, talents and treasure. Do yeah. How much do you spend actually talking about money in this particular, or is that that just up to the pastor's um, own discretion based on his own circumstance? Yeah, I think that um, I, I think it depends on what angles you're taking. I guess to back up a moment, I wish that Mammon was still tra- was still left untranslated as Mammon. Yeah. Uh, like so many other Hebraic or Aramaic Semitic words, you know, like Amen or Alleluia. Um, mm-hmm. I, I wish Mammon was in there because it is bigger than just money. I mean, yeah. it's it's worldly goods. And Mammon has that particular negative connotation of the deification and the raising up of that and turning it into idolatrous uh, you know, love of, of money and goods instead of just like money. It's more than it, it's mammon, yeah. uh, but it's too late for that. So you did have something know. in translation. <laughs> yeah, I guess I did. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just so used to thinking of that as, as mammon because that's how all the, yeah. that's how all the commentators talk about it up until just a couple mm-hmm. decades ago. That's how, that's how we talked about it, frankly. Um, uh, yeah, maybe uh, we should uh, maybe we should change that translation. Just like scratch it out in the lectionary and put Mammon back in. <laughs> I don't know. Once you start monkeying like that, I don't know. Uh, that can that can get bad too. Um, oh. Because you know that for every person who does that judiciously and with justification, <laughs> there'll be somebody who's too clever by half and who just goes around yeah. changing stuff like a like an idiot. Um, yeah, like a midwit. Um, like a midwit. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Too clever by half. Um, are you, uh, Speaking of someone who is not that old of a commentator, William Arndt, I mean, he, he talks about mammon in his commentary. I just wanted to suggest that if, if people are looking for a good Luke commentary, uh, William Arndt was a Missouri Synod guy uh, and he was an exegete and uh, wrote a, I think, a really good commentary in the old Concordia commentary series. Uh, it's kind of that mm-hmm. grayish, bluish. I don't know. I don't know if it's teal or slate and red with kind of gold highlight. Oh yeah. On on the outside, um, a lot of people have the Jeremiah and the Minor Prophets by. Uh, um, oh, I can't remember who whose name is. Lutherlich. No, no, he oh, wasn't Missouri Synod. Yeah, Lech. Yeah. So yeah, that that's a really good one. I I find that very helpful. And uh, um, 
Okay. But yeah, I about hitting money though versus other things. I don't know. I mean, it really depends on what what are the gods you need to slay because because yeah. the Lord Himself opens up. Uh, it turns it into open season, right? No servant mm-hmm. in thirteen can serve two masters, for they will hate the one and love the other. So here we have a emphasis of comparison again. Uh, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Because push comes to shove, you can't serve two masters, as Jesus says many times. You cannot serve mm-hmm. God and money. I also think that the Sermon on the Mount is in the background here, too, um, because yeah. of all the... I mean, you have the connection to serving masters. You have the connection of not worrying about tomorrow. Uh, you, you have lots of connections. But especially about you can't serve God and mammon. And I think Mammon is such a big catch-all uh, god, kind of like when we say people worship themselves. Well, okay, in what aspect, yeah. right? Uh, in the same way, what Mammon is it? Uh, is it money? Is it? Uh, is it just uh, prestige? Is it land? Is it time uh, away from your duties? Is it uh, you know watching? sports or watching soap operas i don't does anyone watch soap operas anymore they're still on i imagine so somebody watches them but somebody does you know, whatever somebody does yeah but i mean what is the earthly worldly good that may not be bad in and of itself but that you've turned into mammon what's your little household god besides yeah. just thinking about like internally but how does it manifest itself because this parable is all about manifestation the shrewdness of the of the manager of the steward is manifested by his brilliant plan the faith the faith and the faithfulness of the sons of light is manifested by how they use their their unrighteous mammon right they're unrighteous mm-hmm. worldly goods the the goods that won't save you from eternal damnation that will pass away in terms of their usefulness on the day of your death but how do you use that you know is it in service to the one true god or or, or are you gonna serve little mammons here and there yeah i think it's wide open for the preacher to really go go after different idolatries yeah, how, how are you I love that yeah, the way you put it. The house, the, the household gods. I, I think that's. <laughs> I think that's. I mean, seriously, that's. Uh, I think that's really helpful in terms of just thinking about um, what are the things that have been always held up in your own family, your own history, that you don't that you don't really even second guess, but you just as soon as something happens there you're immediately on it because it's like almost a knee-jerk reaction yeah yeah i mean just in terms of i stole it from someone else but i i i think it's a good way to think about it especially well i'll use wisconsin um a household god here is painted green and gold there's nothing intrinsically wrong with backers i mean maybe there is because Long ago, I used to be a Bears fan. I don't, I don't care about the NFL once they went woke. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with the Packers. Um, they're, they're they're a neat organization in many ways, but they also have been turned into a household god. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, or you know, going up to the lake, or you know, wherever it yeah. is. There's lots yeah. of stuff that that's 
around that um, a lot of gods that need to be smashed, a lot of idol smashing to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's and that's really where you know you know Pastor Mark Preuss. Um, yeah, he's been on here a number of times uh, for a series called "The Gods of Our Age," and taking a listen to some of those and seeing how some of those old ancient gods of the Roman and Greek pantheons are still alive and well with us just sure. under different names. Um, you know, that might be uh, a few episodes to helpful to listen to in terms of um, what do you want to go after? Absolutely. I mean, they're, they're just under different guises. I mean, us moderns think that we're so sophisticated because we don't bow down before, um, you know, like, poorly crafted gold and wooden gods like those ancient morons i mean that's how we think and yet um instead we bow down before you know screens right you know yeah stupid pieces of plastic that suck way more time than any ancient god sucked from ancient peoples uh, outside of the priesthood you know mm-hmm. i mean it it it's just different guises because they all stem from the human heart and Satan is, is not a clever gentleman like he purports to be, but rather a, you know, I mean, sin is actually in the end boring. I mean, the apple mm-hmm. turns to dust in your mouth and uh, yeah, these gods need to be smashed. Uh, like you said. And I think that's why Jesus uses this rather harsh rhetoric or very, combative rhetoric right you know what i mean like uh um Mm -hmm. you know uh no servant can serve two masters for he he will either hate the one and love the other like this is like someone getting in your face either you're on this team or that team either you're with me or you're with him either you're with us or you're with them like no middle ground and that's the zeal of uh someone who wants to smash idols or clean a temple or uh, be Mm -hmm. consumed with the zeal and the fire for the Lord. And so I do think that homiletically, this really does give us an opportunity to say, you know, smash these gods, Um, or at least be honest with yourself. What do your actions betray? I mean, you could take a much more kind of subtle, uh, the slow sticking the knife in the back and twisting method instead of being fiery. <laughs> you could just say, well, you know, the shrewd managers, uh, the shrewd stewards actions betray his goal and he goes at it methodically. It's rather brilliant. And the sons yeah. of light, you know, they, they should follow in suit. So what about your works? You know, how do you use yeah. your time? If we looked at a pie chart, you know, who would it reveal your gods to be? Yeah. You know, sometimes that kind of cold, cool, or not cold, but the cool, calm, and collected, oh, let's just look at yeah. this. Sometimes that's very yeah, effective, Yeah, kind of like too. a, yeah, just like a, a, a mirror of existence. You're just, you're just yeah. kind of showing the mirror up there, and what do you see, guys? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then right. positively, if you want to talk about uh, what we should do with all of our talents and treasures and everything that God's given us, then you can, I think, really go to Matthew 25, especially understanding that it's aiding the the, the little ones, aiding the, the, the proclamation of the gospel, you know, aiding the apostolic mm-hmm. church. 
um, and and saying, yeah, well, how are you going to use, uh, you know, unrighteous wealth to further the kingdom of the Lord in your home, mm-hmm. in your church, in your community, in the world? You know, I mean, what are you going to do? Let's think like that shrewd manager who, like you said, is not waiting around. He's on top of it. He started his plan yesterday before he even thought about it. That's how that's how on top of it he is. And so how can we yeah. do that in our lives, knowing the future? Because just like it was declared to him that he was going to be kicked out of his job, it's already been declared to us that we are going to be welcomed into the eternal dwellings of our Heavenly Father because we do have a friend, uh, you know, Jesus who is now our brother and our Lord. And so he's going to welcome us in. So let's act in accordance with who we are and what we've been given instead of acting like a bunch of worldlings. Yeah. So what should we be reticent to go into or push this too far? It just in terms of, because I could see how we might try to make perhaps too harsh of a judgment upon the people necessarily by saying, look, I don't see these works for me. You guys are all going to hell or something, you know, some, something crass like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I don't think you should say that, but I do think it is very valid to say, you know, think of a pie chart of your time and what you spend yeah. it on. W- what does that point you towards of who you fear and who you love and who you trust in and who you care about the most? Um, you know, and um, you should think about that. And maybe, not maybe, but for sure, you, you should do some repenting. Repent of that. Mm-hmm. Repent of the little household yeah. gods that you've set up, you know, because pet sins and household gods turn into the real gods uh, if you let them grow. And sin begets yeah. more sin. And and so we, we should we should take a long look um, of of what we're doing or not doing and how that reveals our hearts and it reveals mm-hmm. uh, our faith or the weakness of it or the lack thereof and we should repent and and seek to put our actions more and more into conformity with with how our Lord would want us to be faithful. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, uh, do you have anything to say that we didn't get to or you got everything out? Yeah, I'd like to read a quote from uh, Bede, St. Bede. He writes, then let the covetous hear this, because, you know, the covetous would be the sons of of this world, right, who just care about mammon. Mm -hmm. Then let the covetous hear this, that we cannot at the same time serve Christ and riches. And yet he said not who has riches, but who serves riches. For who is the servant of riches watches them as a servant. But he who has shaken off the yoke of servitude dispenses them as a master. But he who serves mammon verily serves him who is set over those earthly things as the reward of his iniquity and is called the prince of this world. I just love how he says that and how we have uh, been set free from the prince of this world and from only having hope in earthly things. And so uh, we should not act like slaves who only have hope in this world. We should act like sons mm-hmm. of God 
um, who, 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 who serve the Lord, who has given us riches, eternal riches, that moth and rust and uh, theft and fire and water and destruction cannot destroy. And so therefore we should use everything in this life to show our faith and to show gratitude to, to the Lord who's already given us a household. We don't have to be like that that steward who is racing around desperate to find a household. We already got a household. And so we need to live confidently in that faith. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thanks for your, thanks for your time, man. Um, that, that last quote was fantastic. And I have to thank you for where I got it because I got it from the Catena Aurea or however you pronounce that by Aquinas. So it's the very, very last quote under, uh, Luke chapter 16 verses eight through 13. It's the very last quote. Yeah. Yeah, are are you familiar with lectionarycentral.org? Yeah, but I never go there. Yeah. They often will have the Catena Aria uh, linked to the to that part. So if you went to that to the oh. the, the Trinity Sunday for um, Trinity 9 on lectionarycentral.org, they'll have a bunch of um well, uh, ancient fathers and Reformation fathers, and then kind of modern teachers, quotes uh, that they align with whatever the readings are. Huh. Um, well, I mean, I, I love those one-stop places where you kind of get a big overview. So do you go there every week? Mm-hmm. No, I don't. Every once in a while, I'll just take a look to see what's there. Yeah, that's neat. Uh, well, I, I really appreciated the last time we talked that you pointed out this thing by Aquinas. Um, you know, there were, there were several interesting quotes. I mean, some of them, you know, it had weird almsgiving interpretations. Um, yes. But, but I was actually struck by how few of that, how little of that was in it, which just goes to show you how bad uh, the late medieval church had gotten because mm-hmm. – um, you know, even folks who m- might not uh, line up in their view of justification uh, quite up to Lutheran, that is to say, biblical standards, they even know to emphasize faith. I mean, it's it, I was reading it and I was like, yeah, this is why Luther used to say, uh, even before he was a Lutheran, used to say, why don't you guys ever talk about faith? You know, <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. he, he doesn't even totally understand justification in a biblical sense yet and he he can even tell you guys are just talking about these indulgences and getting off scot-free you can buy your way into heaven you're not even talking about faith at all this is crazy Mm. and uh, there's just so many treasures from uh, church history it's such a lie of lie of the devil that lutheranism was starting something new and uh yeah we got to treasure those others so it's actually electionarycentral.com. I was wrong. It's .com. Uh, and oh. so I just looked it up real quick. And so like Augustine, he has um, a letter on the right use of food and drink. Mm. Um, or uh, John Cassian has on gluttony. Or, oh, okay. So obviously they're going on like on temperance and sobriety. Um, yeah. They're going on the right use of of uh, possessions or of things that uh, that you possess the possessions and the possessions don't possess you. Yeah, that's a good turn of phrase too. I mean, I think that recognizing that 
you've got the rich man and Lazarus or Lazarus later in the same chapter helps drive home that point because that guy is just obsessed. He's a slave. I mean, he, he eats sumptuously every day. I mean, you just get the picture that he cannot even find a high or a pleasure anymore because he's just maxed out on everything, just like a druggie who has to have more and more and more to even feel anything. And mm-hmm. like what you just said, you know, are these possessions, do you possess them or do they possess you? And that naturally leads to talking about gluttony or on the flip side, fasting and how we should discipline our bodies. I mean, I'm really looking forward to next year. Uh, speaking of uh, the Bugenagen conference, when, uh, Pastor Ryan Leslie is going to be talking about fasting because I I tell you what, I mean, when we do confront things that are not intrinsically bad, but can become gods, uh, and when we push back against them, you can see your spiritual discipline strengthen, and it is training for when you meet other temptations, and we should Mm -hmm. subject, put the flesh into subjection. Um, and 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 work on those things so that we can have mastery through through the word of God over our members. I mean, like yeah. I, I don't mean church members. I mean our own bodily members. Right? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm still yeah, on the 43 not, uh... catechism. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, do they say in all my members, my reason and. All my my reason and all my senses. Yeah, but do you say members in in the in the new version? I don't even remember. I don't think. Uh, I don't think so. Okay, we do in the forty three. So, um, but anyway, yeah. I mean, I we, you don't know your catechism anymore. That's okay. <laughs> no judging. <laughs> no, I. It's, it's just funny. Every time I get put on the every time I get put on the spot to say something, it's like. I don't know. It just went out the window. I have no idea. Yeah. I can't find right. it in my brain. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, hey, thanks for your time, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me on and uh, hopefully talk to you again soon. All right. Take care. <laughs>